the reading is from Luke 24, verses 36 to 47. And this, this follows straight on after the couple who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they rushed back to Jerusalem to tell all the disciples that they'd actually met Jesus. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still not, but did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I said to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his followers. But have you ever noticed how often in the Gospels the disciples at first didn't recognise him or didn't realise it was him or didn't even see that Jesus was with them? Which made me wonder whether Jesus is often in front of us, present, doing his risen Jesus kind of things, but we don't notice or recognise or see it. And then I thought, so, okay, well, what was it that opened the disciples' eyes in the Gospels so that they then did see him? And therefore, perhaps what might open our eyes a bit more to see the reality of the risen Jesus among us more and more today? And that's what this sermon is about, okay? I think this matters, by the way, because I think Jesus seemed to think it mattered. Uh, he seemed to think that we need to learn to recognize his presence, not just by visibly seeing him there, but by believing in his presence and power always in the not, perhaps not so obvious things. Uh, I say that because in the gospel passages where they didn't realize the risen Jesus was there at first, and then Jesus would, you know, something would happen that meant suddenly the disciples saw it was him, and then sometimes Jesus would just disappear. And be like, well, why? Why disappear? I, I wonder if it's because it's kind of like he was saying to them, look, okay, now that you get it, now that you've seen that I am here, you need to now work out what that means when you can't visibly see that, you know, in the flesh, but to know and believe that Christ is still here with us anyway. They had to wake up the next day, the disciples, like we have to get up tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, or whatever, and believe that Christ is risen and is among us. So it's no good, is it, for us to just depend on wanting visible 
you know, sights of Jesus in our lives, the wow moments perhaps that all, we all long for and look forward to. But actually we need to learn that Jesus is present always. So what opened their eyes to see? Like Jesus said to Thomas, you know, because you have seen, you believe, but blessed are those who believe even when they have not seen. So how can we see the presence of Christ even when visibly perhaps he's not in front of us? My first example from from the Gospels might seem a bit strange, but the first thing that made the disciples see that Jesus had risen from the dead was not seeing his body in the tomb. Uh, You know, they came to the tomb expecting to find his dead body, only to see that it wasn't there. And the angel, an angel asked them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Which always makes me smile. You know, they're, they're looking in the tomb and I just kind of imagine this angel just sort of looking over their shoulder saying, why, why are you looking in there? And we would kind of think, well, because Jesus died and we buried his body in there. It seemed obvious. And I don't know, I like to imagine maybe the angel's singing, yeah, but he told you he was going to rise again. What is it with you humans and your selective hearing all the time? Uh, but like the disciples, I think maybe for us as well, sometimes... I think we can get so caught up with the signs of death around us or perhaps in us, you know. And by that, what I mean is, you know, the frustrations, the the disappointments, the setbacks, the negatives, the regrets, as Laurie said earlier, the bad news. We can get so caught up on that to the point that we almost stop expecting to see Jesus risen. And it's like we just keep going back to the tomb in a way. Maybe we keep revisiting past setbacks in our life or dwelling on past mistakes, or focusing on on what we think we lack and aren't good enough at or something, or focusing only on the things that are not, and it holds us back from celebrating the things that are, or experiencing the things that can be if Jesus leads us onwards. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus had told the disciples he would rise again, but at this point they could only, as they came to the tomb, they could only contemplate death until they realised the tomb was empty. Jesus was alive, and he still is with us. Perhaps for us there are times when we need to kind of make a conscious decision to decide that it's not helping to just keep going over old things or dwelling on the things that bring death and instead to start looking for the signs of life in us or around us, to look for the living Jesus, in other words, in the many signs of his life that are around us in the world. You know, we can see the evidence of God's love for us, his goodness at work for us. You know, this may be one way, I thought, that kind of our eyes are open to see Jesus risen, because he's turning up all over the place when we stop, and notice what he's doing. There are lives being saved. We've heard the testimony of one or two this morning. There are communities that are being made more whole because Jesus Christ is changing things. There are divisions that are reconciled because of Christ. There are sins forgiven. There is life restored to people who thought they were at the end of their life. And waiting outside the tomb Jesus is kind of there for us too. Whatever our tomb, our darkness, our difficulty may be, Jesus waits outside to say, okay, now we go forward into the next chapter for you as well in your life. It's a bit like in another passage. This was another passage I thought of in John 21. 
where some of the disciples are fishing on a lake. That's what they went back to what they had done before. And Jesus appears on the shore, but they don't recognize him. And he says, have you caught any fish? No, they say. And Jesus says, well, throw your nets on the, the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they caught so many fish, we're told the net was too heavy to haul it into the boat. And it's at that point that they see. Peter says, it's him, it's the Lord. Uh, We're going to think a bit more about that next week, by the way. But the fish were there, right in front of them. And sometimes perhaps we need to listen again for Jesus and look, almost like, you know, if that can be an illustration, we need to look at the other side of the boat and notice there's a miracle right there in front of us and around us, because Christ is with us. Now, somebody might be thinking at this point, yeah, okay, but that's really difficult when you're going through something particularly, like, heavy. You know, uh, some trauma, perhaps, some grief, some really deep setback. Telling somebody at that time, well, just look at the positives. You know, that can be quite unhelpful, patronising, insensitive. (laughs) Now that's why I wanted to next think about Mary Magdalene in John 20. And this is my favourite resurrection appearance. Mary is in the garden near the tomb, having just discovered that Jesus' body is gone. And she is just grief-stricken. She is crying, we're told. And Jesus comes to meet her, but she doesn't recognise him again. She thinks he's just a gardener or something. And Jesus asks why she's crying And she says, someone's taken the body of her Lord away. So for her, it's just gone. Everything's gone. She doesn't even have a body to grieve over. And she feels utterly lost and alone until she realises that she is not alone and she is not lost. Do you you remember what opened Mary's eyes? Uh, Yes, Jesus says her name. He says Mary. And we're told Mary immediately realised she turned around and she said, Rabbi, which means, means teacher. It, she realised it was him. And that made me think about, well, firstly, how many, how many of us find God actually in those times of grief or other struggles? Uh, there's, there's actually a biblical emphasis on this. Um, often in the Bible, it begins, people's journey with God, God begins with the word cry or cry out, like Mary does here. Uh, Now, in the Bible, the word cry does not just mean tears like it does in English. Uh, It means means this kind of, I don't know, a crying out of one's soul in in its anguish and loss. Uh, In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word cry is particularly important because we're told often in the Old Testament that God always hears the cry of the suffering or the oppressed. And hearing their cry in the Old Testament story particularly is usually the beginning of God doing something to save them. Uh, It was the cry of Abel's spilt blood that God said he could not ignore. He heard it crying out from the ground. It was the cries of the slaves in Egypt that God said he had heard and which resulted in him going and rescuing them. Uh, One Jewish commentary suggests the word cry in Hebrew is one of the most powerful words in the Hebrew language because God hears the cry of those who suffer. And Now, I was reading a book last week which said this. Think about your life. What are the moments that have shaped you the most? 
If you were to pick just a couple, what would they be? Periods of transformation, times when your eyes were opened, decisions you made that affected the rest of your life. How many of them came when you reached the end of your rope, when everything fell apart, when you were confronted with your powerlessness, when you were ready to admit that your life was unmanageable, when there was nothing left to do but cry out? For many people, it was their cry, their desperation, their acknowledgement of their oppression that was the beginning of their liberation. When we're on top, when the system works for us, he says, when we are capable of managing our lives, where is, what is there for God to do? But the cry, the cry inaugurates redemptive history. God hears and something happens. I think many of us have been in a kind of place like Mary. And like Mary, maybe it is God hearing our cry and knowing your name as you cry that helps you to see, even if only to see with hindsight, to see that the risen Jesus was beside you as you wept. That he loves you, that he loves us, that he knows every bit of our story and that he's risen so that he can meet with us in our lives and carry us through and onwards. As the letters of the Hebrews says, he ever lives to make intercession for us. So maybe we're too quick at times to assume that the power of the risen Christ is always about the sort of celebrations and the smiles and the triumphs that make us feel great. Those are wonderful. Sometimes absolutely praise God. That's where we find him and meet him. But it is also Mary weeping and Jesus letting her know that he still knows her name and that he hears her. So, And I think as churches we've got to be aware of that. You know, we mustn't become... Uh, well, we mustn't give a sort of monotone impression of Christianity, you know, just sugarcoating life to make us feel better. You and I know Christianity is much more real than that. Uh, God hears our cries as well as our rejoicing. And, and Jesus can enter in and change lives no matter where we are or what we're going through. Now, that leads me to Luke 24. And verses 36 to 43, and Jesus appearing to his disciples again. Now, on this occasion, they do see him, but they also kind of don't, uh, because they're not sure they believe it's real. Uh, They think they're seeing a ghost. So they kind of see, but in another sense, they're not seeing. They they just can't believe it. It's real. And and the thing that, well, what did we actually read it, didn't we? What did Jesus do to show them that it was really him? Do you remember? He showed his hands and feet. Now that's really interesting. We might think that the resurrected body of Jesus would would have the marks of his sufferings removed. You know, it's all made new again. But Jesus chooses to keep them. He says, in fact, he says in in those passages that, that the marks of his crucifixion, his hands, his feet, and in the other Gospels, his side, those are the proof that he really is who he said he is. Now, I think one, me- one thing that that means is that there is no version of Jesus that is not the Jesus who dies for us in love. He hasn't changed in his resurrection to somebody else, uh, some other version of Jesus. He continues to carry the marks of his suffering for us because he continues to be the God who would willingly die for you and for his enemies. He would do it all over again. He doesn't have to, praise God. It was a once for all. But he keeps those scars so that you and I know he is still that same Jesus who loves you 
and dies for you to save you. The cross was not just a sort of one-off moment of compassion in the life of God. The cross was the demonstration who God really was and is and always shall be for us. And those scars of his death for us were therefore the marks of his true nature, the proof, if you like, that really this was and is Jesus who's risen. And I think for us today as a church, um, you know, that should continue in another sense to be a sign for us, a marker of the true work of Jesus, the kingdom of Christ in our world today. Too often in its history, sadly, the church, which is us, you know, we're talking about ourselves here as Christians, we have turned Jesus into a different kind of power. Usually we've ended up getting church mixed up too much in the power of empires and the kingdoms of human beings, and it always goes wrong when we do that. So we end up turning Jesus' power into a different kind of power. For example, there have been times when Jesus has been used to justify violence or oppression or greed. You know, money and money and money and money and empire in the name of Jesus. But the marks, the genuine marks of Christ among us, I think, should be the marks of his sacrificial love. Hands and feet pierced in love for us. The Apostle Paul said, you know, there were these other apostles. He calls them, he's he's being kind of uh, sarcastic. He calls them super apostles because they're trying to say they're better than Paul and the the real apostles. And and they were all wonderful. You know, they've done all these great things. Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthians about this, says that I'll show you the marks of a true apostle. And he talks about his suffering. He says, that's what I'll boast about. And, and he said in another passage, he said, he bore in his body the marks of Jesus. For him, for Paul, that was the mark of a true follower of Christ, that they would give their life serving and loving others, just as Jesus did for that. So I think that's another way that we see the risen Christ among us today. We see it in his body, the church, throughout the world, bearing his marks, our willingness to carry each other's burdens, which we're told fulfills the law of Christ, where we take up and carry the cross, as Jesus told us, for the sake of the world, where we take our place as the church alongside those who are lost and crying out and suffering and oppressed, and we give ourselves to them, we give our voices for them, our hands, our feet, our hearts, our whole lives, just like Jesus did for us. And I believe it is there that we see the risen Christ at work in our life and in our world. And that leaves me just one final point. And this one's from earlier in Luke 24. And uh, Maureen drew our attention to it as well. Uh, A couple are walking on the road to Emmaus and they are feeling completely despondent because all their expectations and hopes of what Jesus would do had come to nothing, they thought. And then the risen Jesus starts walking with them, talking about it all, asking them why they were despondent, and then he explains that they're not seeing it right. Jesus explains to them that far from his death being the end of their hopes, it was the fulfilment of everything the Old Testament prophets had said that he must do to bring salvation to the world. But all along, as the risen Jesus, apparently it's probably two, three hour journey, All along, as as the risen Jesus explains all this to them, they don't realise that it's Jesus they're talking to. And then they get to their house, and it's getting late, so they invite Jesus to stay with them for a meal. 
And again, what, do you remember what opened their eyes so that they recognised him? The breaking of bread. He took bread, he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them just as he had done with them many times before around a table or particularly in the Last Supper. And as he broke the bread, we're told their eyes were opened and they saw that it was Jesus and that he had been with them and they said he had made their hearts burn like they felt alive again as he had been explaining the scriptures to them earlier as they walked that journey. So we have a shared journey, a shared table. He broke bread together with them and they realised Jesus had actually been with them all along for the journey, for the talk, for the meal, for the breaking of bread. And perhaps perhaps that is the most constant thing we need to realise, the, the most dependable, constant way that we experience and see the risen Jesus among us today. We see him in our fellowship with one another, in our shared journey of faith as we walk together with the Lord, in our shared love for each other as a church, in our living as the church of Jesus Christ, the new community of Jesus, which the New Testament calls his body. And, and it is there in the, in the church, in our shared journey of faith, together as a people, like that couple on that road, that we realise Jesus is always there among us in his risen power. And of course, central to our fellowship as a church is the Lord's table, where the bread is still broken in remembrance of Jesus as the symbol of everything that the church is. So it is here, perhaps in our fellowship with Christ among us, as we love and support and pray for and build each other up, that we do see the face of Jesus in the face of one another, his people. And so as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today, let's ask, ask God to keep us attentive. And if we're still keeping going to the tomb, let's ask him to say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And if our eyes have become closed, let's ask him to open them to see the power and the grace of Jesus that surrounds us in so many ways in this world. There are epiphanies of Jesus, I believe, all over the place. And let's rejoice in the good news that Jesus is alive and he is always with us. Amen.